This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Our first show tonight is yours truly, Johnny Dollar. You know, as originally conceived, Johnny Dollar was a smart, tough, wise-cracking detective who tossed silver dollar tips to waiters and bellhops. While always a friend of the police, Johnny wasn't necessarily a stickler for the strictest interpretation of the law. He was willing to let something slide to satisfy his own sense of justice, as long as the interests of his employer were also protected. Series ended in September of 1954. Now, each story started with a phone call from an insurance executive calling on Johnny to investigate an unusual claim. Each story required Johnny to travel to some distant locale, usually within the United States, but sometimes abroad, where he was almost always threatened with personal danger in the course of his investigations. Johnny's file on each case was usually referenced as a matter, as in the Silver Blue Matter or the Forbes Matter. Later episodes were more fanciful, with titles like The Wayward Trout Matter and The Price of Fame Matter, the latter featuring a rare guest star appearance by Vincent Price himself. And Johnny usually stuck to business, but he would sometimes engage in romantic dalliances with women he encountered in his travels. Later episodes gave Johnny a steady girlfriend, Betty Lewis. Johnny's precious recreational time was usually spent fishing, and it was not uncommon for Johnny's clients to exploit his favorite pastime in convincing him to take a job near good fishing locations. His past was rarely mentioned, but Dollar in one episode described himself as a four-year U.S. Navy veteran who then worked as a police officer for a decade before changing careers to insurance investigation. Each story was recounted in flashback as Johnny listed each item from his expense account. The episodes generally finished with Johnny tallying up his account and traveling back to Hartford, Connecticut, where he was based. Now, most of the expense account related to transportation, lodging, and meals and served to transition between scenes. But no incidental expense was too small for Johnny to itemize, as in item 9... Ten cents, aspirin. I needed them. Uh, the monetary amounts weren't always literal. The smallest line item Johnny ever recorded was two cents, what I felt like after a professional setback. The largest one was one million dollars, the way he felt after finding a missing woman and her daughter in a snowbound cabin. Each episode would end with Johnny submitting his grand total of miscellaneous expenses. The last episode of Johnny Dollar ended at 6.35 p.m. Eastern Time on September 30th, 1962, following, uh, followed immediately by the final broadcast of Suspense. The final episodes of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar and Suspense aired on CBS, often called as the end of the golden age of radio. 
Now tonight, Edmund O'Brien has the starring role as Johnny Duller. From Hollywood, it's time now for Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. Johnny, Bob Hall at Plymouth. We've got a bad thing down here. Oh, what's that? One of our company investigators has been killed. I think you knew him, Gene Reimer. Gene Reimer is dead. Yeah, shot to death. We learned of it this morning. Sent him down to Charleston to look into a murder. Does his wife know yet? She was with him. I mean, she went to Charleston with him. We want to put somebody right on it, Johnny. That's why I called. Uh, oh, sure, Bob. I'll, I'll come right over and get the rest of the story from you. Edmund O'Brien in another adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Plymouth Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Leland Blackburn matter. Expense account item 1250, cab fare from my apartment to the Plymouth building. Hey, Johnny. Yeah? Oh, hi, Merle. What are you doing down here? The Gene Reimer shooting. I wondered if it heard. We talked a lot about you. You were good friends. We learned the business together in the Pinkerton Agency. Almost opened our own office. It didn't pan out. I wish it had. We're going to miss him around here. He was a great guy. Yeah. Well, Bob Hall's waiting for me, Merle. I'd better get in there. Sure. Good luck, Johnny. He's waiting for you. You can go right in. Thanks. How are you, Bob? Thanks for coming right over, Johnny. Wouldn't have blamed you if you turned it down. Forget it. I feel pretty awful about it. I gave the case to Gene myself. He wasn't up for one, but there would have been some extra money for him. I knew he needed it. He didn't have to take the case. He didn't have to earn a living this way. It's a funny thing for you to say. Well, there's no other way to look at it. You can't hunt trouble forever without finally running into them. I got the idea that you were his friend. I was. But you aren't hiring a friend, Bob. You're hiring an investigator. If you want me to go to work on this, I'd better get some facts. I don't understand you. What about the case he was on? You said it was murder? A policyholder named Leland Blackburn was bludgeoned to death in his home. How long had Gene been on it? Less than a week. Five days. Had he sent in any report on what he'd learned? No, he hadn't. Is that all? That's all I know. He was staying at the Hotel Lee. His wife is still there. As I said, she'd been with him. I suggest you talk to her first. I will. I'll leave as soon as I can get plane space. All right, Captain. Good luck. Expense account item two, eighty-five dollars transportation between Hartford and the Hotel Lee in Charleston. It was eight thirty p.m. by the time I checked in, and my first move was to the phone. Yes. It was Johnny, Barbara. Johnny, where are you? The floor above you. The Plymouth Company sent me down to look into Jean's death. Oh, I'm glad you're here, Johnny. When will I see you? As soon as possible. Well, give me just 15 minutes to put a face on it. Come on down. In a long time. I, I can't tell you what a shock it was to hear your voice on the phone. I, I've been thinking about you. Oh? It, it's natural, too. You've been the only one I turned to when there was trouble. 
How did the company happen to send you? Because I knew Jean, I guess. Was anything said about us? There was no reason for that. Everything between you and me stopped when you got married. We'd better keep it that way now. Sure. It was a beautiful marriage all the way around. I told you it would be. You remember that? Yes. But there was a side of Gene Reimer that hardly anybody knew. You didn't believe me. I learned to. And you made some pretty serious statements to me after you did. I want to get that off my chest before we go any farther. I don't know how many times you told me that you were afraid you were going to kill him for what he'd done to you. And you meant it, didn't you? Johnny. The last time was less than a month ago. You don't think I killed him? I remember what you said. Johnny, don't. Why did you come to Charleston with him? Because he made me come. Why? Because he... I don't want to tell you. Why not? It doesn't have anything to do with what happened. Then you shouldn't mind telling me. He found out about somebody I'd been seeing in Hartford. I know it sounds cheap, but you must realize... Never mind that. Dean brought you down here to keep you away from this guy. Yes. Johnny, you can't think I killed him. I hope you didn't. For old times' sake, I'd hate to learn that you did. They were good times, Johnny. What do you know about the case Gene was working on? Nothing. He never talked about any of them. Well, I'll start on it tomorrow. Good night, Barbara. Suspense count item three, two dollars, cab fare. The next morning, the police headquarters, where I met Lieutenant Sims, the officer in charge of both killings. Well, looks to me like they piled a load of work on your shoulders, Dollar. You assigned to both murders? Chances are that they go together, don't you think? Hard to figure that far yet. Well, what have you got on this Leland Blackburn? The file isn't complete on him. The widow and son refused to authorize an autopsy. Took a few days to force it through, so we got no report. Who was he? An old codger, a pillar of the old South, so to speak. He was a broker, him and his son Rollin, pretty wealthy folk. What do you think was the motive? Well, we're thinking it was robbery. Nobody knows how much, but old Leland's wallet was empty when they found it. He just told the phone operator he wanted the police when he was hit. The phone was still in his hand. Well, I'll have to go and talk to the family. Help yourself. Now, this other Hartford man, a likable kind of fellow, you know him? Yeah, I, I know Gene for quite a few years. Makes it bad when it's a friend, don't it? Well, it doesn't help. You have anything on his death? No, absolutely nothing. He was shot three times at close range with a thirty-two caliber gun. All three slugs went through him and smashed up on a brick wall behind him. Spoiled him for ballistics. Why did it happen? In an alley off Magazine Street. And that's why we can't figure any connection between that shooting and the Blackburn killing. You know this town? No. Why, well, no Blackburn had set foot in that Magazine Street section. They'd live at the other end of the town, south of Broad Street. That's a whole lot closer to heaven, I can tell you that. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Lieutenant. Looks like I've got a lot of cold trail to follow, so I'd better get moving. Later that day, after checking by phone to learn when the sun would be home, I went to the Blackburn residence. It was a warm, friendly estate glowing with southern tradition. The same thing could have been said about the widow, Mrs. Blackburn. But son Rollin must have taken after his father. What I resent most of all is that you are here simply because you suspect either mother or me or both of us of nefarious plot. Now, Rollins. Isn't that right? Murder is a hard thing to ignore, Mr. Blackburn. I am not ignoring it, but I believe our local police are quite able to do what must be done. 
I should think you'd be interested in having as many people as possible working to clear it up. Naturally, I want to see my father's killers brought to justice. But I don't think father would appreciate the importation of investigators from Hartford. Robin, please. I came here primarily to investigate the death of the first Hartford man. I'm afraid you'll have to put up with me until I satisfy myself that there's no connection between your father and that. What possible connection could there be? I don't know. There isn't any. If I hear of you dragging the Blackburn name into a sordid murder in that part of town, I will personally thrash you to within an inch of your life. Rollins, I must insist. I think perhaps that if you left, Mr. Dollar and I could conclude this meeting much more rapidly. Don't you have an appointment someplace? Don't you forget what I said, Dollar. I won't. Oh, I must apologize, Mr. Dollar. You don't have to. The loss of his father has been a great shock to him. And I must say, that other young man who was here as pleasant as he tried to be did leave us for the impression that he suspected us. One doesn't say things like that about the Blackburns. It is an extremely proud and moral family. I understand. I don't want you to think that I... Now, Mr. Dollar... What do you want me to do? Well, I think you've probably been asked these questions by Mr. Reimer, but if you'll bear with me... Of course. Ah. Were you here the night your husband died? Yes. I was in the other wing where our bedrooms are. Roland was there, too. But he came down to the kitchen. That's through there. And found poor Leland. Neither of you heard anything? No. I had my radio on, I remember. But even so, it is quite a big house. It's a beautiful house. Mrs. Blackburn, do you have any idea who could have done this thing? Any enemies of your husband's? I knew of nobody who disliked Leland. He was a charitable, honest man. And a pious one. I'm sorry, Mrs. Blackburn. I won't bother you any longer. My only hope is that I may join him soon. Dollar, Lieutenant. Oh, yeah. What have you been up to? I went out to see the Blackburns. How did you reconstruct the killing out there? Well, like I said, he still had the phone in his hand. He'd been hit a number of times with some blunt instrument. Anything to make you think there was more than one killer? No. Wounds were all on the right side of the head. Struck from behind by a right-handed man. Why? The son. He was a little agitated at my being there. He said killers. What's that? He said he wanted to see his father's killers brought to justice. Plural. What would make him say a thing like that? I don't know. Well, as it stands, it's not worth anything as evidence, but I thought I'd tell you. To me, at that moment, it meant there was a possibility that Roland Blackburn knew more than he was saying. I spent another two hours trying to find something to strengthen that possibility the financial condition of both the family and their brokerage firm. I got no place with it, but I returned to my hotel with the feeling that that one slip was going to develop into the link to connect Gene's death with the Blackburn investigation. The feeling lasted only a few seconds after I met the man who was waiting for me outside my room. Mr. Dollar, I'm Hal Brain. Oh, yeah? I'm the hotel detective here. Oh. I think I'd better talk to you. What about? The woman down in 413, Mrs. Reimer. How'd you find out about me? I've been keeping my eye on her. So you go to see her and checked on you. I had an idea that insurance company would send somebody else. 
Why have you been watching her? Her husband paid me to. I guess there was something wrong between them. Yeah. A man showed up to see her the day the husband was killed. I didn't get a chance to tell him, but I thought I ought to tell you. Who is he? Richard is his name. George. He's in the Clemens Hotel up the street. He checked in from Hartford, too. Come on in the room, Brian. I want to hear the rest of it. Sure. There isn't much more. This Richard showed up at the Rhymer room about one in the afternoon. Rhymer was out, so I didn't get to him. And then he was shot that night about ten. Maybe it don't mean anything. You know where Richards is now? He checked out this afternoon, took the 540 plane to New York. Want me for you a drink, Brian? Sure. The old man's a fool to marry a woman as beautiful as that. It always means trouble. That's my personal opinion anyway. My wife's as ugly as sin. That's as far as it goes. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Have you told this to the police, Brian? Not yet. Why not? Oh, I figure a couple of days won't make any difference. The police don't come up with something else, but then I'll tell them. You talk to her. What do you think? I don't know, but I'm going down to see her. Wouldn't be very smart, would it? Maybe not. That's the way I have to play it. Help yourself to another drink, Brian, and... And thanks. I've got to see you. Sure, Johnny. Come in. What's the matter? Why'd you lie to me last night? I, I didn't. I, I don't understand. George Richards. Why didn't you tell me he was here? How did you find out? He was seen coming to this room. Why didn't you tell me? I was afraid to. Yeah, that I believe. I put myself out on a limb for you today because I thought there was a chance you wouldn't lie to me. I withheld information. They want a motive for Gene's murder, and I didn't mention you. I didn't kill him. That doesn't mean anything now that there's Richard. I didn't know he was here until I opened that door. He stayed here ten minutes, and I made him leave. I told him to go back home or there'd be real trouble. He didn't leave until this afternoon. I didn't know that. Johnny, I, I know I should have told you last night. I've always trusted you, but... I knew how bad the situation would look, and I... I just prayed that nobody would know George was here. You weren't covering up for him? No! I didn't know, Johnny. I I didn't know he was still here. Quit it. Quit it, will you? Come on, sit down. Get a hold of yourself. Look, I want to believe you, Barbara. You know that. But it doesn't make any difference now whether I do or not. The police are going to learn about Richards. Are you going to tell them? I imagine they'll tell me. But I can't hold back anymore. And with the answers I'll have to give them, they can probably indict you for murder, or at least accessory with Richards. I didn't kill him. I, I don't know anything about Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. I don't need hysterics. I need proof. How can you prove to me that you knew nothing about it? I don't know. Would Richards have done it alone? No. How can you prove that? It's a thing I know. I can't use things, you know. I need people and statements. People who will swear that they saw you at the time Gene Reimer was killed. People who will swear they saw Richard. It was nine o'clock. I was here. I can check that. That's all I know. Johnny, stop. Please stop. I can't stand anymore. Uh, all right, Angel. Oh. <laughs> I tried to find an alibi for George Richards that night, but a stranger in a city the size of Charleston is hard to nail down. 
I went to the Clements Hotel and questioned bellboys, clerks, maids, and bartenders. But those who remembered him hadn't seen him during the evening in question. And I tried cab drivers with no better success. It was after midnight when I went to bed and nine the next morning when I was awakened by a summons from the police accompanied by official transportation. Here he is, Lieutenant. Thanks, Sergeant. You can wait outside. Yes. Sit down, Dollar. Thanks. I had an interesting chat with the hotel detective where you're stopping. Oh, I'm not surprised, Lieutenant. What's the matter with you, son? You put yourself in a pretty darn serious position by holding back information from me. Why'd you do it? I'm not sure. You admitted knowing that, Gene Reimer. Why didn't you tell me then that you, you knew about trouble between him and his wife? Well, I wanted to check the other angles first, the Blackburn investigation. How bad was this trouble? Pretty bad. Reimer had a mean streak that didn't show, except to his closest friends and intimates. You'd say uh, he did her bodily harm? Yep, lots of it. How'd you find out? For her? How well did you know her? I knew her before they were married. You love with her by any chance? If I had been, I would have married her. I know what you're driving on, Lieutenant. The possibility that, that I came down here to protect her from a murder charge. Well, that's half true. What's that? She's been my friend. I didn't want to see her pulled in if she wasn't mixed up in it. You don't think she was? I'll have to leave that for you. I know she had a motive, and to make it better, a possible accomplice turns up. But so far, it's all circumstantial. And we put a searcher out on this man, Richards. That's how good them circumstances look to us. Sure. And I'll bet I can reconstruct your reconstruction. A phony tip to rhyme on how to crack the Blackburn thing, an appointment on Magazine Street, and the payoff. Huh? You break that down? Oh, I tried. Barbara has an alibi, but Richards hasn't. Well, i got to have somebody for that killing, Dollar. I'm going to bring her in. I'm surprised you haven't already. I want to talk to you first. I want you to stay here while I talk to her. Why? Why, you think she'll break down because of me? What's the matter with that board? I'll be right back. I've got to go get a man to pick her up. Contemplating suicide. Where's Lieutenant Sims? Just went out the other door. I'll be right back. Hey, you finally got the autopsy report on old man Blackburn. You sound as if you really didn't believe he was dead. Oh, no, he's dead all right. What is it, Sergeant? The Blackburn autopsy report. Yeah, look here. Hmm? Well, I'll be... Narcotics, user. Press has been waiting for this, Lieutenant. Well, they've got a right to it. No, wait. Uh, don't give it to him yet. It's been pretty hard on that family. Hold on to it. No use dragging them through any more mud. At least till the federal men go to work on it. All right, sir. You'll be here in a few minutes, Dollar. So relax. I got to run through a few reports while we wait. It was hardly the time for relaxation, but I tried. We sat through an hour of questions to which there was no provable answers. And at the end of it, Barbara Reimer was booked on suspicion of murder. And I was released on bail, charged with suspicion of being accessory after the fact. I had only one place to go. Good afternoon, Mr. Blackburn. Good afternoon. I'm Mr. Dollar. You remember me? Of course I do. I wasn't expecting you. I'm sorry I didn't have time to phone. May I come in? Yes. Your son at home? No, he's at the office. What is it, Mr. Dollar? 
A girl has been arrested because the police think she killed Mr. Reimer, the other man from Hartford. Oh, I didn't know. I don't think she did it. I don't think I understand, Mr. Dollar. Why have you come here? Because I think you know she didn't do it, Mrs. Blackburn. Mr. Dollar. Could we sit down someplace? Yes. In the drawing room. Now, if you please, sir, what is the meaning of it? Why did you refuse to allow an autopsy to be performed on your husband? Because I believe it to be a revolting and savage practice. A mental torture that no one has the right to ask the survivors to experience. I will not condone it. Usually laws are stronger than human feelings. You know that one had been performed? I refused. Well, Roland told me there was nothing to fear. He was wrong. I will not condone it. It's a matter of official record now, Mrs. Blackburn. The report says your husband was a narcotics user. He was not. He was. Your son knew it, and I think you did. I shall have to ask you to leave, Mr. Dollar. Please, Mrs. Blackburn, that wouldn't do any good. When I was here before, maybe you remember, your son said something he didn't intend to say. He told me that more than one man killed your husband. He said killers. He was upset. Both murders had something to do with the narcotics your husband used, didn't they? No. The police haven't been able to find a link between the Blackburn name and the magazine street section. The narcotics made that link, isn't that right? No. Gene Reimer must have found out. He was killed. Now a woman is charged with a murder she had nothing to do with. What else do you want? Oh. We thought we were doing the right thing. Why did you think that? We hoped to save Leland. That's shame. And Roland, his son, and his widow. Gene Reimer must have learned from you. No. No one was to be told. Mr. Reimer discovered it himself. When he faced us, we begged him to say nothing. But when he threatened us, we told him their names. The names of the people who supplied your husband? Yes. And made a hell of our lives. They've extorted money from us for almost ten years. We of the inviolate family. They killed your husband. They came that night to force him to buy more. And when he refused and tried to telephone the police, they killed him. I want you to tell me who these people are. We told Mr. Reimer. And, and he... I won't go alone. It will be finished then. This farce we live. It will be finished anyway. Yes. To go no further. There are two. One is named Miller. The other, Stone. Why do I find them? You won't go alone. We've caused one death. I'll be all right. I'll tell you where to find them. I hadn't planned to go alone, but on the way I began to wonder if the time I spent interesting the police wouldn't be used by Mrs. Blackburn to warn the two men whose capture would put the finish to the family reputation. So I didn't contact Lieutenant Sims. Instead, I stopped by my hotel to pick up an automatic and cab to the Magazine Street address by myself. Please. I'd take it easy up there if I was you. Thanks, I will. Here you are. Thanks, sir. Hey, 
Gal? Who are you, Miller or Stone? What's the difference? None. Hey, hey, now, what is this? Who are you? Miller. What's the idea of pushing in? I just came from the Blackburn place. Where? The old lady is tired of trying to save the family pride. She talked again. What? What other reason would I have for being here? She's ready to talk to the police about her husband. I'm ready to talk to you about Gene Reimer. I don't get it. You'd better start. Come on. Where? Out the door. We'll find our way. Now, listen to me. You can't pull a man around like this without saying why I haven't done nothing. Then why argue? All right, I'll go. Miller, get away from me. Find Stone, Mike. I gotta talk to Stone. He did get a chance to talk to Stone, but not before Lieutenant Sims heard him out and added his statement and added the surviving Blackburns, which cleared Barbara Reimer and yours truly. Expense account item three, $110. Miscellaneous expenses in Charleston. Item four... Same as item two, transportation back to Hartford, expense account total. Oh, excuse me. Yep? Hello, Johnny. Oh. Hi, Barbara. I thought you were coming over. It's after four. Uh, well, as a, as a matter of fact, I was just going to phone. I I can't make it. What's the matter, Johnny? I've got another case. What's the matter, Johnny? I, I have to earn a living. All right. You know where to find me if you want to. Yeah. Yeah, I'll try to call you when I get back to town, okay? Goodbye. Uh, expense count total, $345.75. Remarks? This was a fairly personal assignment, and it brings to mind a fairly personal observation. Cops, private or otherwise, should never marry. They're lousy husbands because they're away from home so much. But more important, they leave too many widows. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd with music by Wilbur Hatch. Edmund O'Brien's latest picture is the Paramount Pictures production, Warpath. Featured in tonight's cast were John Daner, Jim Nusser, Jeanette Nolan, Georgia Ellis, John McIntyre, and Larry Dobkin. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. This is Dan Coverley inviting you to join us next week at this time when Edmund O'Brien returns as... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. You can sing it again on CBS tonight for a whole hour of fun-packed, music-packed entertainment. And maybe Dan Seymour will be calling you to solve one of the tuneful little riddle songs that lead to a chance at radio's largest cash jackpot, $5,000, plus $10,000 more in wonderful prizes. Alan Dale, Judy Lynn, Bob Howard, the Riddlers, and Ray Block Orchestra are on hand to sing and play the riddle tunes leading up to Dan Seymour's Coast to Coast Call. Be listening again later tonight when Sing It Again comes along on most of these same CBS stations. Now stay tuned for Von Monroe's Caravan, which follows immediately on most of these same CBS stations.
is CBS, where you laugh with Lucille Ball and my favorite husband on Saturday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Ozzy and Harriet next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet. America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. From Hollywood, International Silver Company, creators of 1847 Rogers Brothers Silver Plate, presents The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, starring America's favorite young couple, Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. Okay, coppers, I'll talk. Only no more questions. Please, no more questions. According to our detective fiction writers, there was a time not too long ago when police authorities often resorted to prolonged and uninterrupted interrogation of criminal suspects. This was known as the third degree. I wonder what that's got to do with the rest of this. Oh, well. As we pay our weekly visit to the Nelsons of 1847 Rogers Road, we look in on a typical family scene. A scene that probably happens at your house practically every night in the week. Ozzie is leaning back in his favorite easy chair, glancing through the evening paper, and Harriet casually asks, Anything exciting happened downtown today? Hmm? Oh, I'm sorry, dear. What'd you say? I said, what happened downtown today? Nothing special, just, you know, same old stuff. Who'd you have lunch with? Lunch? Oh, yes, I had lunch. No, I say, who did you have lunch with? Oh, I had lunch with George Dunkel. Did you eat at the Elks Club? No. Where did you eat? Uh, We ate at the Emporium, down in the grill room. Who did you say you ate with? I ate with George Dunkel. I had scrambled eggs, corn muffins, and milk. (laughs) And the corn muffins were burned to a crisp. I rode home on the bus with Joe Randolph, and he had a sore thumb. Questions, questions. Holy smokes, Harriet, what is this, the third degree? Well, I should think you'd be very happy to know I take such an interest in things. Stop being so grouchy. I'll get it, although it's probably for you. Hello? Hello, Harriet, Ruth Hodges. Oh, hello, Ruth. We had such a good time at the luncheon today. Well, I was so glad you could come, dear. Wasn't it a pity Betty Randolph couldn't make it? Yes, she had a headache, didn't she? Well, she said she did, but I know the real reason. Now, don't you dare tell anyone. I haven't told another soul. My phone's been out of order. (laughs) But Joe and Betty Randolph have separated. Oh, that's awful, Isn't that terrible? I just hate to talk about it. (laughs) Now, listen to this. Betty found a picture in Joe's wallet, a very curvaceous blonde in a skimpy bathing suit. No. Yes. He tried to tell her it was his grandmother. (laughs) Well, Ozzy met Joe downtown today, but he didn't say anything about that. Oh, was Ozzy downtown today? Well, then he must have seen the big fire at the Emporium Grill. Really? Well, Ozzy and George Dunkel had lunch there, but he didn't say anything about a fire. 
Oh, did Ozzie have lunch with Dunkle? Well, how's his broken arm? Whose broken arm? George Dunkle. Didn't you know he broke his arm? Well, no. Ozzie didn't say anything about that either. Well, that is strange. Well, I have to be going, dear. All right, Ruth. Thanks for telling me all the news. You're welcome, dear. And Harriet. Yes? Don't forget, you heard it here first. <laughs> Ozzie? Mm-hmm? Stop reading the paper. That was Ruth Hodges. You're sure nothing interesting happened today? No, Harriet, I What about the you? fire at the Emporium? Oh, that. Well, I told you the corn muffins were burned. <laughs> fire wasn't much. They had it out in a jiffy. What about Dunkle? Ruth said he had a broken arm. Oh, yes, yes, that's right. I, I meant to tell you. He, he had his arm in a sling. How did he break it? Oh, I don't know. Didn't you ask him? Well, of course not. I think if he wanted to tell me, he would have. Golly, what curiosity. Well, it isn't a question of curiosity. It just seems a little silly. A man sits there with a broken arm, and you don't even ask him how he got it. Maybe he lost a bet on the election, and the other guy got to break it. I don't know. <laughs> We're getting some pretty big odds, you know. You also met Joe Randolph, but you didn't say a word about him and Betty being separated. Well, Harriet, I remember distinctly telling you he showed me his sore thumb. Well, what's that got to do with them being separated? Well, his wife bit him on the thumb. <laughs> Why are women so curious about things? Curiosity that caused Joe all of this trouble. It was really his wife's fault. Oh, she finds a picture of another woman in his wallet, and it's her fault they're separated. She hadn't been so curious, she wouldn't have found it. <laughs> Joe doesn't know how the picture got in his wallet. He's never even seen the girl before. Did he tell Betty that? He tried to. He kept shouting it over his shoulder all the way down the street. Hey, Mom, David's got a girl that carried her books home from school. Oh, keep quiet, you little blabbermouth. David, don't talk that way to your brother. Well, you. And, Ricky, you stop teasing David. Nothing wrong with his having a girl if he wants to. You never had a girl, did you, Pop? Ozzie, would you point me out to them? <laughs> yes, I've had a few girls in my time. Did you ever carry their books home, Pop? No, they always carried mine. <laughs> Harriet, show the boys where the calluses used to be on your hands. What's your girlfriend's name, David? Oh, now, wait a minute, Harriet. Don't start giving David the third degree. The girl's name is his own business. I don't mind telling Pa. Her name is Mildred Marshall. Her name's Mildred Marshall, Harriet. Now, what else would you like to pry out of the boy? She's a very nice girl, just a little younger than I am. We're both in the same class in school. She's just right across the aisle. She's got blonde hair and blue eyes and just a few freckles. And she only lives a block from here. Guy, she's plenty smart, too. Her father works in the bank and they got a big house. How long have you known her, David? Harriet, can't you see he'd rather not talk about her? <laughs> Curiosity. She handed him a note to David. I saw her hand it to him. Did she, David? Yeah, it's nothing much. If you want to hear it, I'll read it. Here it is. Uh, better let me read it first, David. One of these old personal things, you won't read it. I guess this is all right. What does it say? Easy, dear, easy. It says, I owe David Nelson five cents. <laughs> I loaned her nickel for ice cream today. Mom. Would you say I have a nice nose? <laughs> well, yes, David. I'd say you have a very nice nose. Why? Mildred says she thinks I have a nice nose. She likes my smile, too. What do you think your next movie's going to be, Tyrone? <laughs> Come on, David. Let's go throw the football around. Okay, but you better be careful of my nose. 
Well, I guess David's growing up. Oh, the poor little guy. The way you gave him that third degree. Oh, stop it. Naturally, I'm interested in what my own family's doing. Aren't you interested in hearing about what I did at the luncheon this afternoon? Not especially. I know it's hard for women to understand, but well, men just aren't naturally curious like women are. I suppose you wouldn't be interested if I told you a rather attractive girl said something about you today. Not especially. Did an attractive girl say something about me? Why are you interested? Not necessarily. I'd just like to know who she was and what she said. Who was she? Oh, now who's curious? I'm not curious. I'm just interested. Who was this ravishing creature who said the wonderful things about me? I didn't say she was ravishing. You said she was attractive. Look, you don't have to tell me who she was. Just give me a little hint. What kind of a little hint? Well, her name. <laughs> well, if you'll admit that you're just eaten up with curiosity and that men are just as curious as women, I'll tell you. Oh, Harriet, for heaven's sake. No need to be childish about it. That's because an attractive girl said something nice about me. Who says she said something nice? Well, she must have said something nice so you wouldn't be afraid to tell me who she is. I'm not afraid to tell you, dear. I'm just not going to tell you. Are <laughs> you just being ridiculous? Let's drop the whole thing, shall we? Just because some woman named... What'd you say her name was? <laughs> no, no, that's my trick, Darren. It doesn't work. Hey, I'll bet I know who it was. Was it Dorothy, uh, Dorothy, what's her name? Dorothy, what's her name? Yeah. Well, what's her name? <laughs> Dorothy, uh, do you know, uh, Dorothy Douglas. No, it wasn't Dorothy Douglas. Was it Florence? No. Was it Vera? Are you going to name every girl you ever knew clear back to kindergarten? Oh, somebody I knew in kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about a little while, dear. I have to finish getting dinner. Was it Francis? Or Catherine? Harriet, was it Catherine? A tall, blonde girl with dark hair? Harriet? Harriet? <laughs> Historians tell us that in times of great emotional stress, Chopin, Beethoven, Bach, Gershwin, and others whose lives haven't even been filmed yet, all these great men sat down at the piano and thundered out their problems, their frustration. And so Ozzie Nelson, lord and master of 1847 Rogers Road, sits down at the keyboard to seek the answer to his problem. Oh, Harriet, 
Have you ever thought how many songs have been written about girls' names? Oh, yes, lots of them. Margie, Louise, Josephine, <laughs> Mary. Oh, yes, there was a Mar- song called Mary. Uh, Mary, yes. No, I don't imagine it's so difficult to write a song. All it takes is a little imagination and musical curiosity. I really hadn't thought much about it. As a matter of fact, imagination and curiosity are closely related. Did you know that? No, dear. Hmm, indefinite thought. You see, imagination is thinking, and curiosity is wondering. You see the connection? Imagination is thinking, and curiosity is wondering. No, I don't see the connection yet. I'll put it bluntly. <laughs> I'm wondering who that girl was. And at the same time, I can't help thinking what'll happen to you if you don't tell me. <laughs> I can't hold out any longer, dear. You're so curious now your face is green. My face isn't green from curiosity. That's my tall grass after shave lotion. <laughs> I'm going to end your torment, dear. I made the whole thing up. Made what up? The girl. You talk so much about a woman's curiosity, I thought I'd do something to arouse yours. I think I did a pretty good job. Harriet, no matter how beautiful she is, regardless of what she said, there's no reason for you to hide it from me. Ozzie, honestly, I made it up. What you're really trying to say is you're sorry you mentioned the thing. There's no need to be jealous about it. What difference does it make? Just because this gorgeous thing has a schoolgirl crush on me? We've been married now for 12 years. We've been married for 13 years. Oh, yes, yes. We've been married for 13 years. I'm not going to run off and leave you. What was that that silly thing you called me when we were first married? Your hubby-wubby? <laughs> I'm still the same. Perhaps a little more wubby, but still your hubby. No, believe me, dear. I made it up. There was no girl. Oh, Harriet. It'd be different if it was something important, but this is much ado about nothing. Now, don't lose your temper. Oh, it burns me up. Here, I don't care whether you tell me or not, and you won't tell me. Well, if you don't care, dear, why don't we just forget Forget about the whole thing. Fine, we're just getting upset over nothing. But will you tell me one thing? What, dear? Now, this is completely off the subject, just an afterthought. Yes? What is the girl's name? Hi, Oz. Hello, Thorny. Yeah, you sound mighty low. Nothing wrong, I hope. Oh, not exactly. It's just that Harriet's been acting very, very strange. I don't understand women. They're so darn curious. My wife's the same way. Always curious. Wants to know where I've been. Who did I meet? Where did I spend my money? Where did I get any money to spend? (laughs) Going on for centuries, I guess. Has Harriet been asking you a lot of questions? Questions, questions, millions of them. She can give me a regular third degree, and that's okay. Let me ask her one simple little question, Thorny, and it becomes a big thing right away. I don't see the follow it. Well, I wanted to find out who a certain girl was. Girl? What girl? Well, Harriet went to a luncheon today, and while she was there, some beautiful, shapely girl said some wonderful things about me. Oz, there's nothing wrong with Harriet. It's that girl that's out of her mind. <laughs> Goodness sakes, Thorny, can't you ever agree with me? Now, I may not be the handsomest man in town. I agree with you 100% there. (laughs) As I was saying, I may not be the handsomest man in town, but to somebody, I may look like Robert Taylor. Now, that's believable, isn't it? Is that what the girl said? You look like Robert Taylor? 
Is it believable? Is that what she said? Huh? Is it believable, Yes, Connie? it's believable, but is that what she said? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> I thought not. I couldn't possibly believe that. Well, you just said it was believable. Well, we weren't getting anywhere the other way. <laughs> what did the girl say? Oh, just some very nice complimentary things. It isn't important. What is important is Harriet's attitude. She's jealous, Thorny, so jealous she won't tell me who the girl is. You never can tell what a woman's jealousy will do, Oz. I knew a girl once had a pet frog. The girl's name was Betty Clark. What was the frog's name? Jacques Dupre. Oh. <laughs> anyway, Oz, everything was fine until the girl next door to Betty got a pet frog, too. Betty got as jealous as could be of that other girl's frog. And what really burned her up was when the other girl got more what's than she did. <laughs> Women's jealousies are amazing. Yeah, they certainly are. Now, tell me more about this friend of Harriet's who said you look like a frog. Well, <laughs> she complimented me, Thorny. I'm not sure what she said, but it must have been pretty nice or Harriet wouldn't be so darn afraid to tell me who the girl is. See, uh, I, I don't mean to butt into your family problems, Oz, but I think I know a very simple way to find out this girl's name. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. mm, not that it makes so much difference, but, but what's your idea? Well, it's very simple. Tell Harriet you found out who the girl is. Tell her it's some old flame of yours who happens to be visiting in town. Then make up a real wild story about this girl and yourself, and when you have Harriet dying to hear more, stop. Stop? Stop cold. Refuse to say another word until she tells you who the girl really is. She'll blurt it out. Her curiosity will kill her if she doesn't. <laughs> Donnie, I've got to hand it to you. You're a genius at times. <laughs> I am clever. <laughs> Let me know how you make out, will you, Oz? Hello? Hello, Harriet. It's Mother. Hello, Mother. Anything wrong, dear? You sound kind of worried. Oh, it's nothing serious. It's just Ozzy's little tease at me. Is it anything I should know about, dear? Oh, it's really nothing. I told Ozzy there was an attractive girl at the luncheon today who said something about him. That's what he's angry about. No, he's mad because I won't tell him who the girl is. Well, then why don't you tell him? Because there isn't any such girl. I made the whole thing up just to arouse Ozzy's curiosity. To show him that men can be just as curious as women. Oh, I see. Well, I hope you know what you're doing, dear. I hope so, too. Ozzy thinks I won't tell him the girl's name because I'm jealous. Well, you know how curious men are, dear. I'm not going to tell you what I'd do if I were you, but if I were you, I'd tell him. <laughs> but there's nothing to tell, Mother. I just told you. I made the whole thing up. Well, I don't like to interfere, Harriet, but why don't you just make up a name, any old name, and then he'll be satisfied and forget about the whole thing. Yeah, I think you've got something there, Mother. Let's see. How about Mary Jones or Betty Brown? Oh, no, dear. Make up something that sounds like a real name. Okay, I'll think up a good one. Thanks, Mother. You're welcome, dear. And oh, Harriet. Yes, Mother? Be sure and let me know how it works out. Harriet. In the kitchen. I've got a little surprise for you. I know who that girl is. You do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that rate's a bigger laugh than you're giving it. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me Liza Cromwell was in town? Who? Oh, come now, don't pretend you don't remember Liza. She was your competition when we first started going out together. Liza Cromwell? What a girl. Dark, flashing eyes. Ruby red lips. 
rich auburn hair and a turned-up nose. That was Liza. What, nobody? <laughs> Throw that jealousy, Harriet, and stop being so curious about it. You know that time I was supposed to take you to the barn dance and I called and said I couldn't make it? I was allergic to banjos. <laughs> they always made me talk with a twang. Go on. Well, actually, it was just an excuse. I'd forgotten that I already had a date with Liza Cromwell. We went out to the amusement park. The Ferris wheel stopped on top, and you know how you're strapped in. <laughs> I was absolutely helpless. That sounds interesting. Well, when we got off the Ferris wheel, we went in the tunnel of love. We had a whole boat all to ourselves. We got where it was good and dark. I put my arm around her, and that's all I'm going to tell you. <laughs> all right, dear. Yes, sir? <laughs> put my arm around her, and that's all I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Then I pulled her head over on my shoulder, and that's all I'm going to tell you. Would you put these salt and pepper shakers away for me, dear? Yeah, give them to me. Pulled her head over on my shoulder and put my other arm around her. Do you get that picture, Harriet? Her head on my shoulder and both of my arms around her, <laughs> but that's all I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Harriet, are you listening? Yes, dear. Then we went into the tunnel of love again. Ozzy, you're on the wrong track. The girl at the luncheon wasn't Liza Cromwell at all. I knew you'd crack. What was her name? Constantina Wafflemix. <laughs> Constantina Wafflemix. Well, I don't seem to recall... She used to sit three seats behind you in the second grade. Well, I still don't recall it... What was it she said about me, this wonderful compliment? She said you had the dirtiest fingernails in class. Are you kidding me? What makes you think that? Well, in the first place, Constantina Wasselmix sounds phony. I don't know why it should. I just made it up. You made it up? Well, of course. I told you before there was no girl. I just made up that story. Honestly? Cross my heart. Which really doesn't matter to me one way or the other. Yes, I know, dear. Because you aren't curious. I'm glad you realize it. You go on in the living room and read. I want to do these dishes. That's ridiculous. Of course, you might ask me if I want any help. Ask you a question? How do you think I'm curious? Will <laughs> <laughs> you get that, dear? Come in, Thorny. Hi, Oz. I just had to come over and see how you made out. Did it work? Uh, yeah, Thorny. Constantina Wasselmix. Oz, I didn't come over here to be insulted. <laughs> I'm not insulting you, Thorny. Well, come on, tell me about it. Did you give Harriet a story? Oh, yeah, quite a story. All about a girl named Liza Cromwell. Who cares about names? What I want to know, did it work? It more than worked, Thorny. I not only got the business settled about the girl at luncheon, but I got a confession off my chest that's been bothering me for 13 years. <laughs> what are you talking about? The story I told Harriet. It was true. I used to go with a girl named Liza Cromwell, but I never had the nerve to tell Harriet... Hi, Harriet. I... Uh, go on, Oz. Yes, go on, dear. Oh, Harriet. <laughs> I didn't hear you come into the living room. What were you just saying about that story being true? 
Oh, it's no use starting. I just said that. I heard you walk up behind me, and I thought I'd have a little fun. <laughs> you thought you'd have a little fun. You know, Oz, I think you're going to have some. <laughs> happened to remember. Somebody did say something nice about you at the luncheon today. Oh? Who was it? Narcissus Blum Jagger? <laughs> nope, it was me. I said I have the most wonderful husband in the whole world. You sure you're not saying that just so I'll let you put your cold feet on the small of my back? <laughs> oh, darling, how can you say that? Did you go there? They go... <laughs> Harriet, tell me this. I hate to sound curious, but how can a woman possibly have such a mellow disposition, such a warm, sunny smile, and such icy cold feet? <laughs> Tune in again next week to another adventure of Ozzie and Harriet, starring Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. And remember... America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. Yes, Harriet, America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. Appearing in support of Ozzie and Harriet were John Brown, Henry Blair, Tommy Bernard, Doreen Tuttle, and Mary Jane Croft. This program originates in the Hollywood studios of the National Broadcasting Company and is broadcast over the Trans-Canada Network of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Burn Smith speaking. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.